Welcome to Perspectives, a podcast by Essence Learning LLC, and a place where leaders learn from leaders. Let's join today's episode. Hi, and welcome to the Perspectives um, podcast. My name is Phyllis Williams, and I am part of the Essence Learning Team. And today we're going to be discussing this book that you see before you. It is Building a House of Diversity, a fable of the uh, giraffe and the elephant, elephant, I'm sorry, by um, Dr. R. Roosevelt Thomas. He is known also as the father of diversity. Uh, We have quite a few on our panel today that will be discussing the book, and I would like to allow them now to introduce themselves. If we could have those that are in the studio uh, speak first, that would be great. Hi, Trisha Cantu. I have about 20 years experience working in the HR field. Hi, I am Kenitra Hikes, or you may hear people call me Kiki as well. Um, I am currently a director of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Jana, April, do you want to go? I'm working on the technical difficulties over here, unmuting myself. Or me- oh, yeah, unmuting myself. My name is April Thomas. I am the Chief Solutions Officer for Strategic Diversity Management Solutions 360, a diversity management consulting firm. Pleasure to be here. And hello, my name is John Jacobs, Director of Student Success and Office of Student Life at Animal Colleges and Entrepreneur and Influencer um, that uh, does sessions with uh, professionals on succession planning and generational studies. I'm so glad to be here. Awesome. Welcome. We're glad to have each of you on the panel with us today. Uh, as I discussed or said earlier, we're going to talk about the book, Building a House of Diversity. Um, This book was written over 20 years ago and is still very relevant and being used today. We're still using the diversity strategies that uh, Dr. Thomas uh, presented and talked about in his book. But before we get into the discussion of the book, we would like to show you a short video just to illustrate Uh, what we're going to be talking about today. Thank you. In a small community, a giraffe designed and built a new and exquisite home, especially for his family's needs. It was a home ideally suited for giraffes with high windows that ensured maximum light and good views are protecting the family's privacy. It had magnificent soaring ceilings, tall, stately doorways, and elegant, narrow hallways that saved valuable space without compromising convenience. The home was so wonderful, it even won the National Giraffe Home of the Year Award. The giraffe enjoyed the home and went as far as to move his prestigious woodworking business into the home's spacious basement. Of course, the giraffe was settled for nothing less than a state-of-the-art workshop. So remarkable and advanced was the equipment in this shop, and so skilled a craftsman was the giraffe, 
that the giraffe's business quickly became the talk of the woodworking industry. Unfortunately, the giraffe's growing popularity began to take its toll, and it became very difficult to keep up with mounting orders. Most days, it was all the giraffe could do to take a break or steal a breath of fresh air. I'll never get all this work done on time. I could lose clients. But it was during one brief break that the giraffe happened to notice another well-known craftsman strolling down the street. I know that elephant. We worked together building a play area for the elementary school last year. He's smart, organized, and an excellent woodworker. I wonder if the elephant would work with me. I need somebody to help me, someone skilled that I can depend on. Hello, elephant. Good day to you. If you have some time, would you like to come in? There's something I'd like to discuss. Well, yes, it would be my pleasure, giraffe. The elephant was delighted with the invitation. He had enjoyed working with the giraffe in the past, had heard of giraffe's wood shop, and liked the idea of getting to know the giraffe better. Well, come in. Come in. Well, thank you. I've always wanted to see your home and workshop. But when the elephant tried to enter, he immediately encountered a problem. Uh, uh, this uh, doorway, <clears throat> the doorway's a bit, uh, uh, I believe I'm stuck. Oh, dear. It's a good thing I put this doorway on double hinges. It's so I can bring in my equipment. This'll just take a moment. Sorry about that. Bob, thanks, Giraffe. Soon, the two acquaintances were happily exchanging woodworking stories, and their appreciation of each other's skill grew by leaps and bounds. Oh, that's wonderful, Elephant. Beautifully done. This equipment sure makes it easy. It was obvious that they got along very well. So well, in fact, that the Giraffe offered the Elephant a partnership on the spot. The elephant quickly accepted. Work with the giraffe would not only elevate his status in the industry, but would clearly increase his income. Honey, telephone. Coming. Oh, excuse me. I better take that in my den. Oh, of course. Well, I guess I'll get started. That would be great. My workspace is now your workspace. Left alone, the elephant looked around and noticed a room full of raw wood. Well, say, I'll bet there's some more cherry wood in there. So he decided to investigate. Uh-oh. Well, this is not good. I better tell Giraffe. Oh. Oh, no. The elephant was very frustrated. Uh, good heavens, elephant. What happened? Are you all right? Oh, I'm very sorry, Giraffe. I, I was trying to get right to work and... Uh, <clears throat> oh, I see the problem. That door was too narrow again. I guess we'll have to make you more flexible. What? Well, you know, there's an aerobic studio near here. I bet if you took some classes... Well, they do a lot of stretching and exercising. If we can get you to do a lot of that stretching part, maybe we can elongate your body. Yeah, well, maybe... Obviously, the stairs are too weak to hold your weight. If you go to a ballet class at night... Now up on those toes, like a butterfly, up, up. 
I'm sure we could get you lighter on your feet. B but giraffe... Then you'll be able to walk right up those steps. Oh, I know you like the classes, because I like you and really need you here. The elephant thought long and hard before answering. You know, giraffe, uh, well, I was looking forward to being here, and I, I want to work with you, but, well, to tell you the truth, I don't think a giraffe house is ever going to work for an elephant. The giraffe and elephant face some intriguing diversity questions. Is this relationship worth pursuing? If so, what are the implications? Could the giraffe have been better prepared when he opened his door to the elephant? Were the elephant's expectations realistic? Why did the giraffe focus only on changing the elephant? Should the elephant go to aerobics class? Ballet class? Complex issues with no easy answers. Yet each must decide how to respond. How would you respond? That was a very cute story and very simply put uh, for anybody to understand how, to, um, how cultures work. We get into an organization and they've been set up a particular way and it's hard to convince, especially when it's been successful, that we should make a change. And so that's why the giraffe was really trying to change the elephant. But uh, I don't think that that story could have been made any more plain or simpler than it was. So um, if, um, you know, one, one thing that Albert Einstein once said is that if you can't explain it simply, uh, you don't know it well enough. And so to that, I say, uh, Dr. Thomas truly understands, uh, I understood uh, the importance of diversity management and strategies, and he made it simple so that we could implement it in our workplace. Um, mm. But to some of that story, I, I'd like for Kiki to kind of give us her uh, input in what she thought about that immediately when she saw this uh, giraffe trying to change the culture, uh, or trying to change the elephant to fit his culture. Right. It's been a while since I've seen that video, too. <laughs> uh, back in the day, we used to watch that video all the time um, when we first started our our diversity, equity and inclusion journey. It's a great foundational video, a great viewpoint on really on the beginnings of what's going on in a lot of organizations is that they want to have the person fit what the organization is instead of having the organization structured around the people and what they fit into as well. So um, I think that's that's always very interesting to see um, and to hear of as well. One of the things that that really does stick out to me also with this this fable is something that a lot of people don't talk about is that the elephant is a bigger person than the giraffe. And so with that, that comes a lot it, that I personally deal with as far as like fat shaming in the workplace and, and those kinds of characteristics where they say, well, you fit in, you lose the weight to fit into the culture, but don't really think about the, the consequences or the stories behind that. So I, I love watching that video because it really does give a great, no matter where you are in the organization, it gives a great viewpoint. Yes. How about anybody else? Did anybody else have any input or feedback on that? For me, watching the video, of course, you know, I've seen it multiple times and seeing it this time, it actually what stood out to me in light of conversations that we're having today 
is that the giraffe knew the elephant in the context of a very specific work context, but he didn't know him socially. And so then because there was not that familiarity in a social context, when it came time to come into another workspace, there wasn't that rapport, not that they didn't get along, but I think if there had been a social context behind their work experience as well, it would have informed their working together even more. And the giraffe would have been, they both would have been more prepared for engaging in this next work and workspace. And so for me, it speaks to, that's often how things work at, in organizations. Um, people of, you know, whether it be people of color don't, like they say, Sundays are the most segregated hour in America because there's not that social integration that happens. And so when you do try to come together in a work environment, the dynamics that keep us separate outside are still the same dynamics that are at work in the organization, except it's a little bit more easy to navigate because there is that contextual uh, parameter of trying to get work done for an organization. Um, and then the second thing that stood out to me was that when the elephant had, the elephant said that the giraffe had resources, uh, that the, the equipment that the giraffe had made the work much easier. And for me, again, thinking, you know, the conversation since this book is uh, the book and the video were put out, like you said, over 20 years ago, we're talking about, and we knew this before, but it's even more so now just in terms of the advantage when we talk about, say, white privilege, just the resources that have been available to um, white people, as opposed to now that black people starting, there's just a head start, there's a gap. The elephant, whoever, and, you know, I put it in a black and white context just because that's what our conversations have been in public, but there's resources that the elephant ha giraffe has that the giraffe elephant just didn't have access to for lack of capital, let's just call it that. And there's definitely the challenge of, I had never kind of articulated that when looking at the book before, the video before. And I think that for the elephants, I think the challenge is still the same for the elephant for, in terms of how to respond to the giraffe, but today they're, the range of responses for the elephant today are much broader um, and more direct. So the elephant, that was like first generation elephant. You've got four fifths of <laughs> elephant generations. Yeah, You're yeah. just like, uh, hold up, no, this is not gonna work. And they're much more vocal. Whereas um, I forget his name, but on the previous podcast, he's like, they're more intense, I think in their pushback on why this won't work. And so those are three things that stood out to me. Yes, that is so true. They do have a voice today. And, you know, uh, the work that has gone on for the last 20 years, right, we've made, we've moved the needle a little bit, we still have work to do, but exactly right, as they were saying, the millennials and the uh, Gen Z's, they are requiring a little bit more and asking, uh, going in it with the expectation that this is how it should be. And so they're making those demands. And if you're not willing as an employer to give that to them, they will find the next one because they're not like some of those that stayed in, in, I know I was with my former employee for 32 years, but that just doesn't happen in these days. So no, uh, thanks for that information. John, did you have anything that you wanted to add to that? Um, not really. I think April did a great job in kind of breaking it down. I, I do want to say that, you know, in some sense, the video is, uh, the, uh, the short video was triggering for me because um, in higher education, we use the word institutional fit 
when we are looking for people in different roles. And I cringe when I hear that because I'm like, what does that mean, right? Um, and because we're an evolving culture and space. And so when I seen the pictures of, of the elephant trying to fit in this space, it just reminded me of those notions of understanding those terminology fit doesn't exist when in a breathing um, environment, when things are shifting and changing. Um, even, even when we use the word best practices don't work. I use the word next practices, right? Because what's best could change in different, in a pandemic and outside a pandemic, right? And so when I hear the word yes. fit, it cringes me because we don't know what that really means. We talked about language and what that means. And so um, it, it was triggering, a good video triggering in regards to being a higher management and we use the word fit. We're like, no, we're not using the word fit. We're looking at their competency, their skill sets, and their behaviors in regards to their responses to their questions. So that's just what came to mind, resonated with me. Yes, sounds great. Yeah, you know, um, that was something, uh, that fit word that we used to use quite a bit when we were looking for talent, right? And it's like, we got to find someone that fits our culture. And that's what we based it on. And so we would lay, lay that out for candidates like this is what we're looking for but you're you're exactly right now it's about value add a cultural add i'm sorry and a value fit versus uh looking for someone who is going you know just get into your uh what you already have set up but you know we want them to add to what we got right and so that's what we look for today trisha did you have anything that you wanted to add on that or do you want to get a new question here um you know the giraffe and the conversation with Elevant, they had had discussed and had mentioned um, before you wouldn't have a voice, you would just kind of like be the elephant and just kind of accept what was said. Um, and but things are changing in our environment and, and we are having a voice. Um, but it is from both parts for the draft, it was a difficult conversation, one of those challenging conversations. And what's the best way to approach it in a more um, professional, but also having empathy for the situation. Um, a little kind of harsh, um, making it the elephant. It's It was, you didn't fit. Um, it had to do, not really directly saying it had to do with your size, but the way he went about saying uh, what he needed to do in order to improve himself physically in order to adapt to the environment. You know what I like that I, you know, we don't necessarily look at it from that perspective, from the giraffe's perspective. We look more of what the elephant had to go through, but you're right about that. That could be uh, definitely a difficult conversation for someone to have uh, with someone. It's like, you, you're not, you, you what I need in skill set, but there are some other things that we need to fix about you, right? And so that's not always an easy conversation. Um, but, and that's why the education is so important and, you know, how to speak and how to talk to, um, people that are different. So and just accepting people for who they are and what they bring to your team. Um, as we talked about, this book was written over 20 years ago, and I know that many of us have read it, read the strategies uh, that Dr. Thomas had set forth. Uh, tell, tell me, are you, Tricia, using any of these today, or do you currently use that to build a diverse workforce? Any of the strategies that are set forth in the book? Well, what are the things that I see that I think is a really, with social media, I mean, we really want to take advantage of that. And I know everybody wants to uh, really promote diversity within the organization. And you put on your website that you're all about diversity. Um, but I think with social media and you're looking for, you know, posting a new opportunity, um, using your team, 
your employees to be your brand ambassadors and showing that reflection of your initiative of having diversity within your organization and using social media. So when you have that position that you want to fill, use your own team to be your brand ambassadors to speak on about working where you're at, you know, and show that enthusiasm. They're excited about coming to work. They're excited about uh, their opportunity there because I think your team can be their, you know, be your best brand ambassadors to really speak on diversity because they're showing it reflects who they are. And it's, you know, you want to mirror that diversity on your team. Yes. Um, April, how about you? Any uh, best practices or strategies that you see organizations using or still using or doing anything different now? Um, I know, I, I think, well, I'll start with the book. I really appreciated um, the story with, about Phil Jackson. Um, I think that the thing I appreciated about it, and you see it in the other stories as well, where they were, they were successful um, at, particularly from the giraffe perspective of being able to create an environment um, where they came in and they actually made changes to the system of the organization. So for Phil Jackson, he came in, there was Michael Jordan was like, you know, say, say, let's say he got 100% of the attention just because he's Michael Jordan, but you still had other players. Phil came in and basically brought Michael's, not brought, didn't bring him down, but just shared the wealth basically with the other players so that there was, it wasn't necessarily equal, but everybody was able to get what they needed to be able to perform at the level to get, uh, you know, to get the best outcome. For me, that's a system change because you had you did have to structure. Michael had to agree to, okay, I understand I'm not going to be able to, I have to share the ball. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but and others have to be to share in the experience of what we're trying to achieve. With the, there's another giraffe. He had a he had to change his own thinking of how he might operate with the other his direct reports. But there was still a shift in himself in terms of what the potential that he initially thought or wasn't thought was there or was not there and so it's just he had to engage in a shift himself and so for me if the i it's hard to say that i've seen this because to do culture change to change systems it doesn't happen easily and so i think that's probably my biggest challenge with the work is that it's still relevant because nobody's done it in the sense of (laughs) done and oh, it failed. It's no, it hasn't been done consistently and in enough organizations to see the benefit of changing your culture. And I'm saying to get rid of it, but you do have to make adjustments. And just when you, in it, I think the challenge there is that when you think about the Michael Jordan and the Bulls story, yes, Michael Jordan, okay, so say instead of 100% of all the accolades, he got 75 and everybody got 25. But in that shift, everybody got a ring. Before that, they nobody had a ring. So you have to remember, what's your objective? Is it to try and keep all of whatever the resources and whatever to yourself or to a group? Or are you really trying, what objective are you trying to do? And can you make an adjustment to the system so that everybody can, can partake and participate and contribute for you to get your ring, whatever that is, whatever that looks like? So. True enough that his skill set did elevate all of the skill sets there on the team, but had that shift not happened, uh, he still would have been running the show like he was. And he still ran the show, but as you said, uh, there were others that were able to take part of that um, uh, to enjoy the wealth as well, right? And contribute what they had to bring to the table. John, any feedback or comments, uh, input from you on best practices? 
I think that uh, Ava mentioned something that really resonated with me is that systems take time. Systems yes. take time. I think in the in the story he said at the end, you know, just wait right here. It'll take a moment, right, in regards to the doors and stuff like that and changes. And so it's it's going to take time. And we're as DEI professionals and experts, it is a marathon, not a race. It is a marathon. You you will have moments where you'll do three steps forward to take five steps back. Um, yes. Yes. And and so as you're talking about making system changes, realize that it's an ongoing reset. I often have to reset as a DEI expert. Is let's let's reevaluate our outcomes. Let's go over these language again. Let's go over these terms one more time. Uh, it is the beginning of the fiscal year. Let's talk about how our budgets align with these DEI initiatives. We have to reset and rechange. And so I think that that patience in the process is going to be really important. I think the stories and the, the many analogies really on the fundamental foundation is the time, the patience and the, the empathy that comes with both from the person, the DEI professional and the person who's listening, that takes along with the process to get to a place where we are competent and mature, like we mentioned at our last um, uh, podcast. So true. Totally agree with you. That, you know, that kind of sets up the, the next question. It talks about the responsibility. What is the responsibility of the organization in building a workplace that is diverse and inclusive? And that's what what uh, Phil Jackson did. He built his team to be inclusive and not to exclude any of those other team uh, members on the team. Although Michael Jordan was the superstar and remained the superstar, again, that wealth was shown, uh, shared rather. So what responsibility really is it of the organization on building uh, their organization to be more diverse and more inclusive? I think, you know, the setting matters. I think that um, you know, I have a seven-year-old son, and when I brought him to, to, we brought him home from the from the um, hospital. It was our job to have a a setting a setting an atmosphere ready for a child, and I think that many DEI giving settings that are um, that are um, allies or, or or champions often don't have the setting for someone to be successful. What are settings? What do I mean by settings? I'm glad you asked. Setting might be having actual counsel, resources, uh, artifacts, literature, books, those things that help to facilitate a, a growth mindset and a growth system, right? And so many times we just drop DI concepts or people into spaces and they're not having the tools, whether it's financial tools, professional development, resources that allow for the work to happen. When you talk about the story, uh, Michael Jordan, he had the resources, he had a winning team, a great coach, facilities, all the necessary surroundings for him to be successful on the court. So all he's thinking about is playing, right? Mm -hmm. Not being grabbing his own water or being his own personal trainer. No, the setting is there for him to be successful. That is so true. Yeah. I was just going to add to that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no go ahead, April. No, I was just going to say that to add to that, I would put it in the context that the organization is responsible for the systems and the policies, which speak to what John was saying, that you have to have that foundation there. And it has to be, you have to need the systems to change to be able to hold people accountable to do, then to do the practices and the, and the behavior. So systems policies is what the organization is responsible for. The, the practices and the behaviors is what the individuals are responsible for. 
But if there's no system to hold the people accountable for the behaviors, these you can put all the training, all the resources, but if they're not being measured by the system, there's this means nothing, unfortunately. Exactly. It's not going to have the impact that that you intended, or at least you say that you intended when you when you paid all the money you did for that training. And so with John's point, systems that you need both. So everybody's responsible for it. There's a place that the system the organization has that only the organization can change systems and policies. And then there's a place then when the when that's in place and being enforced, that the policies and practices will change to reflect that new culture that you're trying to create. Totally agree. Kiki, you had something you wanted to add? No, I, I, I think it's all great. And because when you were talking, uh, John and April, about these are the things that are needed and who's responsible for it, I always use the building a house of diversity to, in this literal sense, we're building a house. So mm -hmm. we're having to start with the foundation. Who's who's mm -hmm. building that foundation? It's not just me. I got to get money to for that foundation to yes. be built. I need the space for it to be built on. I need somebody to manage the financial aspects of, of how we're doing it. Who's going to be the general contractor? So I, I think about when I go into an organization, we're, we're literally taking something from nothing into mm -hmm. building that house. And then I need you, hey, you, your department marketing, you come in and you hold this wall up and you're gonna be responsible for this wall. And as HR, you're gonna come in and you're gonna help decorate the house and you're gonna put in those those systems and those policies. So I think about that as it, and it's little since we're building a house for diversity, but everyone is, is gonna live in this house. Everyone's responsible for building this house up and those things that hit directly in the DEI world of, of the practices, the policies, the procedures, the education and awareness and, and so much more, and how much we do with the community as well. That's all a part of the house and it all takes part in that. And to have a successful household, you have to have everyone be a part of it. Most definitely. Most definitely. Trisha, did you have anything you... What are the things, um, you know, making sure that you want everyone to participate in DEI? It's just, you know, you set it up, you want to have this organization, you want to um, set these systems in play. Mm -hmm. But, you know, with the different generation gaps, you know, you have the young generation, uh, the Gen Z, they might not be, they've heard the word, they might, you know, want to be, we want that particular generation to be part of it. Um, and I think really going out and talking to them individually in their departments and really explaining to them what what our goal is for the organization, um, what DNI is is all about, and kind of giving them that one on one, um, that intimate environment, and sitting down and having allowing them to ask questions to see if this is something that they want to participate. And if I do, what what am I going to gain from being part of this DNI? Mm -hmm. And um, and I think that's a really great way to um, open up, up the doors to different different generations, but maybe they had heard about it, but hmm, not so too sure. But being able to sit down with that DNI person and really getting some uh, questions answered directly um, about how they feel mm -hmm. before they decide they want to pursue being on a committee. But I really uh, think that really opens up a lot of doors and and help gives them that like, wow, they really were interested in what I had to say. Yes, yes. And, you know, um, we've probably touched on some of this, but um, do you have any thoughts or inputs on how an organization can craft solid solutions and not just HR uh, and the, the programs and initiatives in HR, but what are some of the solutions that they can do 
um, to help diversify or to address some of those issues that are in the workplace and, um, you know, to unify their organization. Either one of you guys want to? I was going to mention that um, I, I read an article uh, recently from some D DNI professionals out of San Diego State University, and they were uh, doing this professional development prior to um, the time where, people, where institutions and companies begin to write, send those letters of, of solidarity, letters of solidarity and affirmation, um, whether it's before Juneteenth or it's before Hispanic Heritage Month. And so he, is, he was kind of putting a parking break on just before you send your letter of solidarity to think about the authenticity and, it, and how genuine your letter is going to be. Did you go back and read the last letter that you sent out that talked about all these initiatives you were going to do for the organization? Are you true to those things? And before you even mention those things, what have you done for them lately, right? And so uh, those are the things that I was, I was thinking of when we talked about organizations and best practices or next practices is fulfilling the, the promises uh, that you've said prior to, right? When you talk about making sure that your DNI is authentic and real to the to the reader, right? Yeah, I would think I would, I agree with that because oftentimes when you know if you look on LinkedIn and other you know platforms, that's the the sentiment that seems to be brewing is just that okay, two years ago companies said this and really not much has changed, and so. And I think that's a challenge. And I said that this isn't new. It's a cycle that happens. Um, something, a trauma happens. The response is to seek help from DI experts. Then things kind of calm down until the next trauma. And then it, then people, to your point, um, Tricia, that it's important to go out and talk with people. And it is. But then after, you know, three, four, five times when the company says, we're going to do this, but then you come, then nothing has happened, people begin to become disillusioned and skeptical. And it becomes yeah. that much harder to believe that the company really is intentional, um, uh, sincere and authentic. And they're wanting to say, they say they want to change, but nothing's changed. Um, and so then where, where does that leave me in whatever um, non-majority group that I'm a part of, or, you know, how do I, how do I advance or contribute when nothing's changed, when I've contributed through, you know, participating in focus groups, discussions, et cetera, and I haven't seen the type of change that for me would be commensurate with mo action that you're sincere in trying to change the organization. Um, and I think a another thing, just I would go back to, again, that type of change for it to be sustainable you need something that you're looking at your systems and your policies that just has to happen otherwise we come back you have this again this cycle where you have a even from an organizational perspective not just the individual but where you have this influx of new talent they come in just like the giraffe did he comes into the door he has trouble even getting into the door never mind just moving throughout the organization after a bit they're going people are talents going to leave because it gets draining to just not only for I mean, whoever the elephant is, because the elephant can be anybody, you know, um, not just a, uh, when we think about race and gender, but if there's a difficulty getting through the organization, you, the only way that happens is you have to change the structure. And when you, yes, it, it is costly when you think about building a house. We have, we want to expand our front porch. They gave me a quote of $30,000. I'm like, 
do I really want to expand it? I'm not quite sure because it's costly to be able to do that. But if you mm -hmm. it in order to achieve the next level of objective mm -hmm. that you're going to, it's, it's going to cost in some form. And that's sometimes organizations don't want to make that, that take that cost on. Um, and so, right. I, so I'll stop there. And I feel like there's also like a lack of accountability too, when it comes to those things, right? It's like, organizations are not holding their senior leadership team or any of their leaders accountable for the actions that fall, not just I've attended this DEI class, but the accountability lies in, are you actually doing the skills, the characteristics, the things that we're teaching you in these classes? Are you implementing them back in the workplace? Are you leading your teams from a place of diversity, equity, and inclusion? Are you recruiting talent from those, those kinds of areas? And we have to hold people accountable. Are you putting it on performance measurements where at the end of the year, they're measured on these and it affects their future with the company. And, and it's that accountability piece that's missing in organization. So it's a lot of you can say these things and you can do this, but are you holding your leaders accountable and, also, and actually following through with that accountability piece as well? Do you have measurable KPIs for everybody um, in the organization that fall in the realm of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Because if it's not just the DEI leader's responsibility and it's everybody's responsibility, then we need to make sure everybody has a measurement for it, everybody is aware and educated, and everybody is accountable as well. Exactly, exactly. And not only accountable, but, uh, but tied to uh, your merit and your increases of salary, then that's when, you know, maybe some of the changes could happen, right? But as we begin to wrap up, um, we're coming to the end of our podcast. I did want to get your, your feedback and input on um, the work that Dr. Thomas did over 20 years ago and what he put in this book for us. Is If he was here today, or if you could hear from him today, what do you think his thoughts would be on where we are in the workplace with workplace diversity? April, um, do you want to take that one first? Sure. I'll take, I'll start. Um, I know the last article that he wrote before he, he passed was this article called The Shamming of Diversity. And it reminds me of this, there's a meme going on um, LinkedIn. I probably watch it too much. I keep referencing it, but there's a, somebody's taking a, an inflatable pool um, put it into a bedroom. It's the size of a, it looks like a bed, but he's filled it with water. Then he puts a blanket over like a cover, you know, the, 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 the fitted sheet over the pill, over the pool. Then he puts a blanket over it, some pillows. So it looks like a bed. Then somebody comes in, they're talking on the phone, they go sit on the bed and then they go, they land all in the water in the pool. And so, but it looks like a bed, but when you got to the essence of it, it did not function as a bed and you were just, just drenched. And so for me, that's an example of the shamming of diversity. We say that we're doing diversity, but when you get down to it, it, it doesn't, it's not sustainable. It can't support you and it can't support the objectives of the organization. I think that would be what my father would say is that his concern was that with the route that we're going, it, that everyone involved not just in any particular group, but with from practitioner to CEO is engaged in an act of shamming. And so that was that would be his biggest concern, I think, for the industry. Thank you. Thank you. Jan, how about you? Selah. Selah. I'll be right there. 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Ladies, did either one of you have anything to add to that or no, I I completely I completely agree with that. Is it's it's seems to be one way, but then when you unpeel the layers, <laughs> is it's a completely different way. And then if, if you are not kept careful, you can catch you off guard and you can end up falling flat with nothing there as well. So um I yes. I, I think that's that big concern. I always go what John said, you know, we, we make two steps forward. We take three or four steps back because something happens in the world where we have to take those steps back. It's like you're on that journey and then your car breaks down, your tires go flat, you run out of gas. What do you do to get back on that road again and, and make sure you're going down the right path? Yeah. So I feel like that's that's really where we are right now. We're still trying to figure out that right path to go down. Yes, it's, it's kind of an illusion. Did you have anything that you want to say? I mean, I, I agree with everyone. Um, it, it's really a slow path, but we're going to, you know, we're going to get there and we're going to make the right changes for that meet the needs of the organization. Fantastic. Fantastic. I want to thank uh, our panelists uh, for joining us today for this podcast and sharing their perspectives on the book, uh, Building a House of Diversity. And as we do say, we do have work to do, but that's what our role is, is to, to educate and to bring awareness about and uh, to make sure that we are moving the needle forward. So again, thank you and thank all of you who are listening in to this podcast. We appreciate uh, you listening in and hopefully you got something from what was said today. Thank you. Thank you for joining Perspectives, a podcast by Essence Learning LLC. Essence Learning is your solution to personal and professional development. We partner with our clients to develop a learning strategy that will increase productivity, enhance performance, and align with their purpose and goals. For more information visit us online at essencelearning.net or call us at 1-877-657-5755.